Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to narcissistic abuse survivors. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning in to this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Generally speaking, a narcissist is a person who has an excessive sense of how important they are. They demand and expect to be admired and praised by others and are limited in their capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. And guess what? Not all narcissists are made equal. Yes, that is true. Narcissism is a character trait that exists on a spectrum. A small amount of narcissism is healthy, and a person with an unhealthy level of narcissism may be called a narcissist. At extreme levels, it may be diagnosed as narcissistic personality disorder. However, for the purposes of this podcast, a narcissist is a person who exhibits narcissistic traits and or a consistent pattern of maladaptive narcissistic behaviors, regardless of whether they meet the diagnostic criterion in the latest version of the DSM manual or have a formal diagnosis. So a person may be referred to as a narcissist on this podcast, even if it is more likely that they have another cluster B personality disorder, such as borderline, histrionic, or antisocial personality disorder, so as long as they exhibit narcissistic traits and behaviors. And now, with all that out of the way, let me tell you that we have a survivor slash cougar named Jules on this episode. I told Jules I was going to do that, and you'll find out what that means when we get there. I'm sorry, Jules. I had to do it. I'm sorry. For everyone out there, if you heard an earlier episode we had with the Countess, Jules might remind you a lot of the Countess because they both have really great senses of humor. Uh, Jules has a a dark sense of humor, and I think it's fantastic. So we laugh a lot in this episode. And also, to the Countess, I haven't spoken to you in a while. How are you? What's going on? I'll text you this week. But that'll be coming up in one minute. First, I just want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community slash army, whatever you want to call yourselves. I like army. I don't know if that works for you or not. But thank you for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit. And if you haven't left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, Podbean, Are there others? I'm sure there are. Tune in. Leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. My voice was cracking there. It still is. I think I'm doing it on purpose now. Now, I'm acting crazy today. Now, the quickest way to be part of our show is if you want to read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our letters to our narcissist compilation episode. We have a voicemail recorder on our website, so you go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page, and it's always floating around. It's hard to miss. There's a button that says send voicemail. Press it, and away you'll go. We're accumulating these letters for volume two of that episode, so send those voicemails in. And if you want me or Melissa, our old friend Melissa, to read those letters instead, send it to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to your narcissist in the subject line so we know what it's for. One little note about all this kind of stuff. I did get a voicemail this week from someone, and it actually made me cry. And uh, listening to it, uh, listening to the raw emotion that the person was telling their story from uh, in this voicemail was very powerful. So I encourage everyone if you, uh, to send in your letters and, and read them yourselves, because the episode could be a very powerful episode uh, if everyone does so. And, and I'm really excited for more letters coming in. 
So, uh, what else do I got here to tell you? Oh, I know. Our new website is up, everyone. Yes. It's taken a while. A lot of hard work went into it. And it's finally up. So, if there's any bugs, please let me know. Email me. If you find anything wrong with it, colors that aren't jiving, something's going on, please let me know if it doesn't work on your device because sometimes on different devices, things don't work. But the biggest thing about the website being up is something else happened. We got our fundraisers up, everyone. Yes. And our first fundraiser is for Layla to get trauma therapy for a year. If you don't remember Layla, she's from our July 22nd episode. And she was married to a police officer who used his power and standing in society to abuse her with no fear of repercussion. So Layla's trauma runs pretty deep and she needs trauma therapy pretty badly. So we're just trying to raise money for her. And if everyone in the community could pitch in and do so, that would be great. And we already got some money in from Jacqueline. So thank you to Jacqueline. We've already raised $225, I think it is, by the time I'm recording this. And so just go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and click on the fundraiser section. I'm super excited about this. And I also know that Layla is super excited about this. Do you know why? Because I called her. And I told her. And I recorded it. So you're going to hear that right now. Hi, how are you? Hey, Chad, I'm good. How are you? I am good. So, so. <laughs> it's always so nice. It's always so nice to hear from you. So, um, you know how you told me about you needing one year of trauma therapy? Yes. Well, we're doing a fundraiser. We're going to start our fundraisers, and I want you to be the first person that gets like you need your full year of trauma therapy. I want you to be the first person to get that, that year. And we're going to fundraise for you. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. That's so exciting. <laughs> Chad, how am I, how am I doing? <laughs> so for everyone, really out, so for everyone out there I, I listening really... to this, everyone who's listening to this, we actually already did this conversation, except I forgot to press the record button <laughs> and you couldn't hear her initial reaction, which was fantastic. This one was also really good, but we had to re recreate it. This was a redramatization of it. But, uh, you know, sometimes I forget to press that button and that was one of those times. But anyway, this is what we're doing. You're getting, you're getting the year's worth of therapy and we're going to fundraise for it because you deserve it. Chad, I'm I'm really excited. I wish you would have recorded the initial response, but I am so excited. And I I told you earlier, I love all that you do to help people, and I just feel so um so grateful. Thank you everybody um for being so generous and thoughtful. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Chad, so much. And as you could tell, I was not the smart one, and I forgot to press the recorder <laughs> right off the bat. So we had to fake it, and I kind of thought it was pretty funny that we faked it the second time because we're not the greatest actors in the world. But anyway, let's help change Layla's life, and I'm just excited talking about this. So let, let's let's do it, everyone. Let's let's change her life. Let's raise enough money to get her the therapy that she needs. And I think that is it. I think it is. 
Uh, no. Oh, there's a couple things, a few things. And they're all three in the same thing, if that makes sense at all. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. There are three spots in this episode. I think it's just three spots where there's a kind of a drop call. The call doesn't drop. It's just there's a few sound issues. It's very brief. Just fight through it. It won't last very long. And it's just an interesting conversation. We laugh at some dark things. It kind of gets into that kind of territory. So uh, hopefully you're not offended by that. And uh, coming up right now, here is my interview with the one and only Jules. And I will check back with you once it is all over. And on the line with me today, I have Jules. Uh, thank you for showing up today, Jules. No problem, not at all. So uh, Jules has a, uh, I've read, uh, I guess, the, the background to the story. Uh, I have a feeling uh, there's a lot more to the story than what you told me because it's already uh, pretty crazy sounding. So I yeah. am, uh, you know, sitting here in waiting anticipation uh, to kind of be blown away. And I, I'm going to get out of the way uh, from this conversation, uh, well, from me blabbering. And the floor is now yours. Okay. Well, um, I don't know. Should I give some background on me first or should I just start where he and I met? Um, you, if you want to give the background on you, go for it. Okay. Um, it does play into it, I think, because I feel like he was the catalyst at the end of all of it. Um, and it's also the reason that he and I bonded. Um, I had a, uh, little bit of a crazy childhood, pardon the pun, um, because I grew up with a mother who was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. She was in and out of mental hospitals. She was committed twice, um, once when I was 13 and once when I was 16. And, um, you know, God rest her soul, she passed away when I was 21. Um, and uh, so that's been almost 30 years ago. And um, she, uh, she did her best, but she was, that shit crazy. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I love my mother, but, and I've already gotten past all of that, but she was crazy. Um, we have family members that are, uh, diagnosed, uh, with various disorders, schizophrenia, um, bipolar disorder. Some own it, some don't. Um, I am diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I'm thankful that that's what I got compared to what, you know, could, I could have gotten in my family. Um, and, um, Asshole, as we spoke before, I don't typically use his name just because it puts a knot in my stomach, but that's what I call him. Uh, I met Asshole when he was 21 and I was 26. And we met in a bar. Uh, we, me and a friend of mine, uh, walked into the bar and he was sitting at the bar with the, you know, Kurz Light sitting there. And, um, Somehow we started talking to him, and he ended up going to a different bar with us. We all went country dancing. It's what we did every Saturday night uh, in my 20s. You know, a bunch of friends would show up at my house, and that's what we would go do. You know, we were all good during the week. We'd work. We'd do our thing, be responsible. And then Saturday night was when we cut loose. And um, he became a really good friend of mine, like really good friend of mine. Like he was there all the time. 
um, the majority of the time. I can't say every single Saturday he was there, but he was there most of the time. Everybody would show up at my house at 8. He usually showed up with the typical bottle of tequila to take a couple of shots before we left. You know, it was that kind of 20. And um, I had just gotten out of a relationship that I had actually lived with a guy for a couple of years. And um, he, uh, I still had the wedding set and everything. And, and I was not in a place at that point where I wanted to seriously date anybody. And it was very obvious that I was, I was just going to, I don't even know how to put this. I was going to go crazy with, just partying, having a good time. I was very honest with any guys that wanted to date me. Look, I'll date you, but do not get serious with me because I'm dating other people. I was very honest. Um, but at the same time, obviously, people would catch feelings and, you know, invariably somebody would get hurt. It's not something I'm proud of. Um, but that's the fact. And so, you know, it was, um, and there was several times that, asshole would try to, you know, say, hey, why are we not dating? You know, why have we never tried to date? And, you know, and I just, I just, I just never would. I never would. You know, it was like, no, you're too young. No, you know, I'm not ready to date anybody. You know, whatever the excuse was, you know, I just, I, I would come up with one. And looking back now, you're going to remember this is, I'm, I'm about to be 51. So this is, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, at the time, I mean, looking back now, I can see the signs of a personality disorder. Like he was very hard to handle. And what I mean by that is he would just get pissed off about just about anything. And he and I could get into some knockdown drag outside and we wouldn't speak for two weeks. And then all of a sudden he'd call me on a Saturday afternoon and it would be, um, uh, you know, hey, is everybody hooking up at your house today? Yeah, everybody's going to be here. You know the routine. And, and he'd show up and everything. You know, we wouldn't even talk about what we'd argued about. You know, it was just kind of blown off. Now, you know, and looking back, of course, back then, because I wasn't romantically interested in him, I didn't care. You know, it was like, whatever, man. <laughs> you know, join the group or no. Um, that he and I became very good friends because, you know, we would all go out on Saturday night and on Sunday morning, you know, if anybody was still at my place after we'd, you know, gone to the bar or whatever, I would kick them out and he stayed. I would always say, you know, he gets to stay. And he, he and I would make breakfast and we'd hang out or we'd take a nap or, you know, whatever. And it, there was never anything sexual between us. He wanted it to be, but there never was. Um, we had the kind of relationship where he would actually go to my sister's house and, um, uh, it was my sister and my brother-in-law and I'm the youngest of four. And there was, um, uh, there was weekends that I would go down there and spend with them. And when I say go down there, they live out by a lake and they still live down there. And it's about an hour and a half or two hour drive from where I currently live. And it was about an hour, hour and a half from where I lived at the time. But I would go down there and spend weekends with them and just hang out. And, you know, we'd play cards and stay up late, you know, drinking beer or taking shots or whatever. And I would take him in tow, you know, and he would sleep on one couch and I'd sleep on the other couch and we'd talk half the night. 
you know, when we were, you know, back at work and things like that, he and I would talk on the phone till four o'clock in the morning. Part of the reason that we bonded was because of our childhood. You know, he had a really rough childhood. I had a really rough childhood. And, you know, we would talk about all that stuff. And we would be on the phone till, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning on a work night. And so I would take him with me sometimes when I would go to my sister and brother-in-law's house and they all loved him. And, you know, I basically brought him into my family and, you know, um, he met, uh, his second wife, uh, which, you know, he was married first at 17 to a girl that he had gotten pregnant with his son. And, um, when I met him, they were already divorced. And now this was at 21, and he married his second wife, who, um, I was, I mean, he meant enough to me that I took that wedding set from that relationship uh, that, you know, I had been in, and I thought, okay, let's make this something good. You know, I'm going to do something with these instead of just sell them or whatever. Let's make this something good. Turn them into something good. So I gave them to him to give to her which was the engagement ring and the wedding, the wedding ring. And, you know, I told her under no uncertain terms, you know, I mean, they were both there when I gave it to them. And I said, you know, under no, you know, there's no uncertain terms, but if anything, you know, obviously I want y'all to be happy for the rest of your lives, but if anything happens, he gets the ring. You know, and she understood that. And, you know, so I was at his, um, I didn't go to the wedding, but I was at the reception uh, which was at the bar that we all used to go party at every Saturday night. So everybody there knew us, you know, and she was very sweet and very kind and, um, you know, just a good girl. And then he and I kind of, I mean, we still talked and stuff like that, but obviously him being a married man, he was kind of doing his thing. I was doing my thing. So we didn't talk as often for the next, I don't know, year and a half or so. And, they started having issues, and there were things going on with her, which I won't disclose because that's not my business to do. Um, but she ended up leaving him, and he couldn't find her. Or so, yeah, I say that, and then I'm going to say, or so the story is. And now I don't trust anything that he ever said or told me. Um, and that, that'll come later. But, um, you know, he was very upset, and he's very sweet and tender-hearted and kind, and um, but it was always about focusing on him and what he needed. You know, I see that now. I didn't see it then. You know, and me being the friend that I am, and those that are closest to me will tell you I'm one of the most loyal friends, and I'll turn myself upside down trying to help you if I can, um, as long as I know that you're not just using me. And, you know, it was like, okay, and I was currently dating who is now my ex-husband. I was married for 10 years uh, when this happened. And I guess so him and I had known each other for, I don't know, four, five, maybe six years at that point, five years. Um, and uh, I was just starting to date my now ex-husband. And, uh, like I said, I was married to him for 10 years and we've been divorced now for seven or eight. And he was extremely upset because it, this all went down just before Christmas. 
and I was planning to go to my sister's house in Tennessee. She had moved to Tennessee. She's 16 years older than me, and her husband had passed away, I believe it was the year before. And, you know, a lot of the family were going up there to spend Christmas with her in Tennessee. And I had told my ex-husband, you know, hey, I'm going to my sister's for Christmas. And we'd only been dating, I don't know, two or three months. And um, uh, I told, uh, I asked my sister, I said, uh, asshole is in bad shape. And um, I need to bring him with me because I'm really afraid that he won't make it through the holidays because he doesn't have anywhere to go. You know, like he didn't have a good relationship with his family and that kind of thing. And I was really worried about him. And she said, of course. So, you know, I, I called him and I let him know, look, you're going to Tennessee with me and there's no, you know, there's no discussing it. You're going to Tennessee with me for Christmas. And uh, I then told my now ex-husband that, you know, I asked him to go and he was extremely uncomfortable with that, you know, because he was going to stay here. He had never been away from his family for Christmas, and he was going to stay here, um, but he didn't feel comfortable with me going to Tennessee, and I basically told him, look, this, you know, young man is my friend, he's, you know, and this is what I do for friends, and he's going with me, so you can either accept that and go with me, you can accept that and not go with me and trust me, or whatever, but he's going with me, you know, I mean, that, that's the kind of friend I am, I'm, I'm, you're, if you're my friend, you're my friend, and I'm going to take care of you. Um, there was only once, uh, let me back up just a little bit, there was only once that we ever had a night where we actually uh, spent the night together. Uh, and that was about a year before I met my now ex-husband. So let me put that out there. So, so that so, was there. So just but, to, so just to confer, just to uh, clarify. So uh, before you married your ex husband, you did have one night with asshole. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and um, but it was about a year before I met my ex husband. Okay. Um, so I understood where he was coming from, but I was like, look, I'm going to my sister's and, you know, we'd only been dating two or three months and I'm like, I'm going to my sister's. I'm okay with you staying here if you want to, but I'm being honest with you that I'm taking this guy because he means a lot to me and he really needs, I feel like he really needs me to take him with me. You know what I mean? Like I really felt like there was a point where he might have not been alive when I got back um, because he was in that emotional kind of state. Now, whether that's the case or not, I don't know, but that was where I felt like he was at. And um, so we all went to Tennessee. We all loaded up in the car and drove to Tennessee. Uh, we had Christmas there. There was a couple of little tense moments um, there at Christmas, but it wasn't too bad. And I'm not talking about between him and my ex or anything like that. It was just, you get that many family members together and it gets convoluted sometimes. Um, but we, uh, went and there was a night, uh, when, uh, Christmas Eve, we all loaded up. It was me and my, my boyfriend at the time, uh, asshole and, um, one of my nieces and her boyfriend at the time, and I don't know who else, but we went into Nashville 
uh, to the Wild Horse Saloon, which was virtually, it was open, but it was virtually empty. And Asshole and I were the only ones on the dance floor there for a while. And my, my now ex-husband could not dance to save his life. So, you know, he asked him, you know, he was, you know, courteous, you know, hey, man, do you mind if I get her out on the dance floor? We've danced a million times in the past because we had. Um, and so, we, you know, we got out there and danced a couple of songs or whatever. And so that was a memory that kind of stuck with me with us on the dance floor alone. And, and there was nothing, for me, there was nothing romantic at that, you know, at that point, I, there was nothing, the one night spent together, neither one of us pursued that at all afterwards. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, well, that happened. And I know how bad that sounds. <laughs> it was just one of those nights where you kind of go, oh, okay, whoops. Um, you know, we'd been drinking and we'd gone out and things happened. Um and, you know, not that I'm proud of any of that stuff. Please understand that, you know, this is retrospect and the truth. Um, and um, we brought him back from, you know, Tennessee. And that was, you know, I mean, that was the kind of friends we were. Or let me rephrase that. That's the kind of friend I was. Um, but I did notice, you know, looking back, I did notice that pattern of we would get into an argument two weeks later or a week later, he would be back to calling me and back going out with this and that kind of thing. Um, so there was a definite pattern there, which I saw creep up later. Um, when I got married, um, we had a very small, small wedding um, because I, with my family dynamics, I did not want to even attempt to have a big wedding. I thought that would just, that was a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll take a small wedding in a chapel. You know, let's have the, the preacher there. Let's get married. We'll have, you know, one of my sisters and her husband at the time and, you know, his parents and that's it. So that's what we did. And, um, Asshole was still um, going back and forth with the um, now ex-second wife. And um, um, he, uh, I don't know, there was something that went down. There was, it was his birthday. I hadn't seen him in a year. He invited me, called me up and invited me to go and said, you know, bring your, bring your husband um, and so we went, but we were waiting in the lobby um, to go in. And, of course, it was a very long wait for a table as big. It was like, I don't know, I want to say 20 of us there uh, to celebrate his birthday. And he was shocked to see me, you know. And he even, you know, told my husband, you know, when he walked up to me, when he saw me, his eyes lit up. And he was like, oh, my gosh, you know. And, and he gave me this big, long hug. And he, it was one of those that he just would not let go. And he even looked up while he was hugging me and told my ex-husband, sorry, man, but this is my best friend. And, you know, that made me feel good, of course. But then the longer we stood there, and he had a girl there with him, and the longer we stood there, the more uncomfortable I got. And I don't know why I got uncomfortable, Um 
I was, I had gained a lot of weight at that point. You know, of course, you know, you get married and you eat at home and you eat out and you don't, you know, it's to me, you get married or you get in a serious relationship. And, you know, for me, I gained 20 pounds like it's nothing. Um, and I was feeling uncomfortable with the way I looked and I don't know. I just felt really uncomfortable. Well, it was about, we'd been waiting for about a half an hour and I finally told my, my husband, I said, you know, I said, you know, I've come and I've wished him a happy birthday and I've talked to him a few times and I think I just want to go. I don't want to wait. Um, and he said, well, we can stay if you want to. And I'm like, no, you know, I don't like waiting for tables and I know how wrong that was. Um, and I told asshole, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to go ahead and go. And he was like, okay. And I gave him a hug and I said, you have a wonderful birthday and I'll see you later. And we left and went home. And um, I really didn't think too much of it um, until, um, I guess it was, um, I couldn't tell you the time frame, but it wasn't too long after that that I called him and I said, hey, you know, I just kind of wanted to, you know, make up for your birthday and wondered if you wanted to come over and let me cook dinner and you could have dinner with my husband and I. And um, he said, he said, like, I'm going to come have dinner with you and hung up the phone. And I was just stunned. I was like, okay, so I made him mad by leaving that night. And 10 years later, we didn't speak for another 10 years. So that was the last After time that, you, that was the last time you spoke to him and for 10 years. That was it. Yeah. Okay. That was it. That was the last conversation. And it was like, I just kind of went, okay and left it alone and he never called me and I never picked up the phone and called him um so we didn't you know we lost touch and of course that was before Facebook and all that stuff this was back in 2000 I'm gonna say 2001 I got married in 2000 so probably 2001 when that happened oh maybe it was no trying to think of the time frame 2001 or 2002 Something like that. I think that's right. Um, so um, it's right around that time frame. So <clears throat> fast forward. Well, I'm married for 10 years. And we actually had a decent marriage. He was not, I mean, we we didn't hardly fight at all. He was a really good guy. Um, he's still a really good guy. He, you know, is right by his son with child support and things like that. So I'm very, very, very blessed to have that. Um, marriage failed because, A, I think I married him because I was in love with the idea of being married to a good guy because that's not what I had experienced up until that point. You know, I had a very physically abusive relationship before I met him. Uh, you know, I had, you know, another relationship that just, the guy got really weird and ended up stalking me after I broke up with him. So he's he's uh, he's a good guy, but he doesn't have the ability to put himself in someone else's shoes. No, you know, yeah. and it wasn't, and it, 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 he's not. He didn't have the ability to understand someone that went through some of the traumatic stuff that I had gone through up to the time I met him. Because I met him when I was thirty. had my son at 35, almost 36, mm-hmm. I think is right. But 
you know, so he had never, he was much younger than me. I'm, I, I will admit it. I'm a cougar. <laughs> I will own it. I will own it. I like younger guys. I like, I've always liked younger guys. I like younger guys. Um, and I also think that that might have played a part in why Asshole was so mad at me because he always wanted to date me and I would tell him, you're too young, you're too young. And then I end up marrying a man that's a year even younger than him. So, you know, that was kind of messed up. When, when, <laughs> you know, I, do, so when, I, when I do the description, I have to write the description of the show. Uh, should I put it the, the front of the show? Uh, this week uh, we have Jules, uh, a cougar named Jules on. I'm absolutely perfect with that because it was so funny. Like, for real. I have no problem with that. I have a really good sense of humor about who I am. I'm very self there. <laughs> uh, How old are you, by the way? This very serious episode. I mean, I Oh, sorry. I'm just saying this very serious episode. Uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> this part in the middle. I told you at the beginning when we were talking before, I have a thick sense of humor and I have a very honest look at myself. And I know how funny it can be when you look at it. Yeah. It's like, okay. Um, this was wrong, um, you know. So, but I've made I've made I've made some bad decisions in my life. I mean, I have. I own that part. Uh, so, so at that point, you uh, eventually divorce your husband. And when does yes. uh, asshole come back into your life? Um, the divorce was final in two thousand eleven. February 2011, and I can tell you the date exactly that I found him on Facebook. So you found uh, him or he found you? Or was it one of those things on Facebook where it's like, we recommend you uh, be friends with this no, person? No, I, I, actually, I actually went looking for him. Okay. I had tried to find him. I had tried to find him in 2006 when uh, my friend was murdered. Um, and I never could locate him. I mean, I called everybody that I knew by that name in the area of town that, you know, might possibly have a contact. And I tried to find him because I knew that, I just knew that he knew her. You know, they had to cross paths at some point, you know, while we were all going out. And, um, so I tried to find him because I thought, well, you know, I need to let him know and it would be nice to have my friend there. Because I really, truly... Even though we weren't talking, he was, I mean, when, when, when I say, not necessarily when everybody else says, when I say I, br- I brought him into my family, what I mean by family is my little circle, the ones that I let completely into my heart, the ones that I completely and you know, I explicitly trust that I can be myself around and I know that they love me. And so, you know, and there's not many that I let in, and it's even more so now, especially now. Um, I don't trust anybody that's new until they prove to me that I can trust them. Um, So there's, you know, he was very important to me. Uh, You know, even though we had not spoken, he was still extremely important to me, and I cared about him very much. And so... June 23rd, 2012, 
And it took me a while, honestly, it took me a while to remember how to spell his last name. But, but I finally found him. And uh, when I found him, there was a picture of him, his profile picture with him and a really pretty girl sitting there. And I kind of hesitated for a second because I thought, I'm not trying to start anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to start anything, but I do feel like I need to apologize to him for his birthday and tell him, you know, look, you know, I mean, I get it that you wanted a chance back then and I never gave it to you. And I'm sorry about that, you know, but it wasn't like I was trying to do that in that moment because I wanted to date him in that moment or that I realized at that point that I had lost this, you know, this chance. It was just trying to do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I miss my friend. I mean, he and I used to just be able to talk about anything and everything. And, you know, I mean, my friend, my family would ask about him every now and then. Hey, have you ever heard from him? No, I hadn't heard from him. We hadn't talked in a long time. You know, so, I mean, it was, you know, it was one of those where it's like, I, I just want to connect with him. And I really thought that when I friended him on Facebook that it was just going to be one of those, you know how you go on Facebook and you friend somebody and um, you don't really talk, but you like each other's stuff once in a while, or maybe you comment or message, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. I really kind of I, I went into it with that's all it's going to be, right? So, you know, hey, I'm just reconnecting with somebody. You know, it's been 10 years. We're, you know, he's living his life. I'm living mine. Um, you know, and at that point, I was living with my sister and uh, trying to, you know, I had my son in therapies, and I was trying to, you know, figure out all the finances of being a single mom with a special needs child and still get him what he needed and, you know, researching that, dealing with the schools and, you know, uh, Medicaid, and, you know, Social Security for him, just, you know, all that stuff. I mean, all of that is a full-time job all in and of itself. Um, and I'm very thankful for my sister that she was there for me and that she gave me the, you know, the ability to get out of my marriage when I needed to and to be there for me. And we lived together for another five years. Now, what I can tell you is I now no longer speak to this sister at all. Um, <laughs> and this is my family dynamic. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a, that's the family is a book all in and of itself, but looking back now and with all the research I've done on personality disorders, when you look at our mom, I'm not so sure she's not in a cluster B's too. Um, because there was a time which we'll get to that I, I thought I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't live with her anymore. <laughs> I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, so I, I click add friend, and, and I say that now, and I get a chill down my spine because it's like, God, why'd you do that? Um, I clicked add friend, and it was the next morning when he accepted. And uh, I thought, okay, cool. So he's on my Facebook now. And, you know, I went back to whatever I was doing, and it wasn't, I don't know, couple hours later he messaged me and he and the exact words were well i see you're still sexy (laughs) how did that make you feel and i was like well at first it was like okay and i was like 
I kind of sat there for a second and I thought, okay, well, you know, somebody that's been through a divorce and has been, you know, not, I wasn't dating at that point. You know, I mean, the couple of times I had tried to go date after my divorce didn't turn out well because by the time we got to the point where it was like, okay, this could get serious. I need you to meet my son. At that point, that's when it would be like, okay, if you get along well with my son, we're good. And if you don't and you don't respect what he needs, then it's not up for discussion. You know what I mean? Like, because he does have special needs. And if you're not willing to listen to what I know and what we know works with him and that kind of thing, then, you know. And I had one guy tell me, you know, well, you know, if you just discipline him more, no. That's not what autism is about. (laughs) You can't just discipline it out of him. Um, so, you know, I wasn't, wasn't really looking to date at that point, but it did feel good. I'm not going to lie about that. It felt good to have someone say that to me, you know, and it, it felt good coming from him because I knew how he had felt back then. And I didn't know who the girl was in his picture. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know for sure that that was a girlfriend at that point. I hadn't gone scrolling through his pictures or anything like that at that point. And um, I was like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. How are you? You know, and we kind of went back and forth. And then I gave him my number. And when I gave him my number, he immediately took a selfie and sent it to me. You know, hey, it's me. You know, and I mean, it was like automatically within a couple of hours of him accepting that friend request, from then until 10 days later, it was constant texting back and forth. And at that point, I had told him, you know, I gave him my apology, and I'm sorry for this, and I'm sorry for, you know, not giving you a chance back then like I should have, and, you know, I just wasn't in a place, you know, and I tried to explain it to him, and, you know, and, you know, this is where I'm at right now, and I have a son, and he's, you know, at that point, I think uh, my son was eight or nine, eight maybe. Um, I get my, my years off. Um, and he, uh, he lived about an hour and a half away from me, from where I was living at the time. And he started with this, you know, we should go hang out like we used to for the weekend next weekend. You know, I've got, I've got a place out, you know, near Tyler that we can go ride four wheelers or something like that. And I was like, well, what will, what will your girlfriend think of that? <laughs> And his, he got real quiet. He didn't, he didn't respond to that text for a while. Because I'm like, well, what's your girlfriend going to think about that? And because I, that wasn't what I was going for. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't going for trying to steal him away from anybody or anything. You know what I mean? That wasn't my intention at all with him. I mean, he had always just been a really, 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 really good friend that was kind of like a family member. And... He, uh, he didn't respond. And then, then, you know, the next message I get a little while later is, uh, LOL. And then the next message is, I've got a long, passionate kiss for you, beautiful, or something along those lines. And I'm like, (laughs) what do I do with that? You know, because there was this part of me, and I think part of it, I'm really trying to own my part in everything, and I'm trying to figure out what it was that allowed me to feel 
anything toward that. You know what I mean? Knowing that he had a girlfriend. And I think a lot of it had to do with my own self-worth, which I still struggle with greatly. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with after a divorce, especially from a marriage of 10 years, um, there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, yes, it's self-worth, but it's a vulnerability um, that I honestly think he zoned right in on. You know what I mean? Like his words, his actions just zoned in on me. And I was like, you know, and my response to that was, now I've told you I don't want to be that girl. I'm not trying to come in and I'm not trying to start anything and I'm not trying to, you know, be that girl. You know what I mean? I mean, I really, I I told him that several times, you know. I mean, I'd love to see you and I'd love to spend some time with you because, you know, you're very important to me, but I don't want to be that person. And 10 days from the day that I friended him on Facebook, 10 days later, uh, he drove that hour and a half and was standing on my doorstep at 11 p.m. at night. And you know when they talk about the love bombing and the the quickness uh, of pulling you in? That's exactly what happened. He was standing on my doorstep, and... He came in, and he, and it wasn't like I was planning on anything happening, because I wasn't. You know, it was like, hey, you know, I mean, he used to spend the night at my house all the time, and we never got near each other. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, it wasn't like that back then. So I don't know if there was some delusional part of me that thought that it was still that way, or, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. But it was wrong for me to have him there that late at night, on a work night, when he had a girlfriend, you know, I mean, and looking back, I can see that, but at the moment, this was just my friend and I was excited to see him. You know what I mean? I mean, this was somebody that was really important to me in my life and I was excited to see him. And he was having some problems apparently, you know, and, um, you know, he was saying that he was upset and all this stuff. And, and I was like, you know, are you okay? And he said, I'm on my way to see you. You know, it wasn't like he gave me an option. It was just, I'm on my way to see you. I'm already halfway there. Give me your address. Okay. Um, so he gets there, and he comes in, and the only place that there is to sit, I know how weird this sounds, but the living room was very, very small in the house that my sister and I lived in, and it was almost like it was a duplex, but you could walk through it. You know what I mean? Like a two-sided house, but you could walk through it. And you walk through the kitchen and you get to my end of the house. Well, there's my bedroom. My son's bedroom was on the other side of my bedroom and my bathroom was in there. And the living room in this house was very, very small. So there was only like two tiny chairs. And my sister's bedroom was right next to it. She had to work the next morning. And it was 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, okay, we can't have this conversation in the living room because I don't want to wake her up. You know, I know she's got a long day at work. At this point... I'm doing part-time stuff, so I don't have to be up early or anything like that, right? So he comes in. We sit on my bed. I've got all the lights on. My son is in his room asleep. He's got, the, you know, the door is shut. Um, so, you know, he can't 
he's dead to the world at that point. Um, and he comes in and sits down on the bed, and we start talking. And within 10 minutes, it was just like it was us again. You know what I mean? You know what I mean by that? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, it, it, it was like, it was like no, time, no time passed, and it was, it was like just like yesterday, and yeah. uh, water was uh, – whatever water that was there, it was all under the bridge, and everything felt uh, probably brand new – or not just brand new, just revitalized as if you and your buddy were back in the saddle again. Yeah, it was just comfortable, you know? It was just like, oh, it's just us. Oh, I mean, and, and, you know, you know, and it was, you had a child and I didn't know about it. Let him peek in and stuff like that. 20, 30 minutes. We're, I'm, I've been, I'm losing you here. Are you, have you oh. walked into another room? No. No, Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I hope it's better. Okay, it's better now. Keep on going. Okay. So he's sitting at one end of the bed. I'm sitting at the other end of the bed. Now, he's only been there like 30 minutes. And we're kind of talking and joking around and stuff like that. And, you know, we'd already been texting and, and we talked on the phone a time or two, but it's only briefly. Um. Actually, no, we hadn't even talked on the phone at that point. It was all through texting and messaging. Um, and he's sitting there on the end of the bed, and, I mean, it was like a split second, and he got the most intense look on his face. And he said, why now? Why 10 years later? And I just, I, I was shocked by the intensity and the seriousness in it because, like, two seconds before, we were laughing about something. And he said, I just kind of looked at him and I said, I told you in the beginning, you know, I felt like I owed you an apology and I missed my friend. And he said, you know, you broke my heart, right? And he was dead serious. And I just kind of sat there and shook my head, yes. You know, you're my, you were my best friend, right? And I shook my head, yes. And he goes, you know, I've always loved you, right? And I just kind of looked at him, and I kind of shook my head, yes. And I was just, like, taken completely aback emotionally by how intense that was. You hear about the, and I don't know if you have at this point or not, but there's there's something called the narcissistic gaze where they stare at you. And looking back now, that's what I felt like that was because it was so intense, and the emotions that went along with it were so intense that it was just like, holy hell, what do I do with this? You know, it was just this, I had never felt anything like that. I certainly didn't feel it with my ex-husband. <laughs> I mean, it was just <laughs> the craziest. Um, I'm going to take a drink here. Okay. So, so at this point, those words and that gaze has you hooked in. Oh, Immediately. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, it was just immediately. It was like, oh my god! And the whole evening. I mean, he was there at eleven p.m. Well, we didn't go to sleep until like three thirty in the morning, and he had to get up at like six so he could go to work. But we talked off and on all evening, and it was it would go from it was very um, passionate. And what I mean by passionate is not necessarily a sexual part, though it did go there. 
Um, but I mean, every emotion that we talked about during that, those four, five, six hours, however long it was, was extremely intense and passionate. Like when, and it would go, and he kind of led that, you know, it would go from, um, laughing and joking around and, you know, being real happy. And then all of a sudden he would think of something of, why were you, you know, why did you do this? Or why did you leave that restaurant that night? Or, you know, and, and me apologizing for, you know, it ended up being me apologizing for everything that I did. You know I mean? That was part of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, it was just back and forth and back and forth and in between, you know I mean? All of a sudden he started kissing me and so there'd be kissing and then it would go back to anger and then it would, you know, it was just all over the map. And so by the time he left the next morning, I was stunned, like stunned with the whole thing. You know, it was just this intense, passionate, emotional roller coaster of a couple of hours. And he had me hooked. Mm-hmm. So after, you know, after that, um, how long until he, I guess, broke up with his girlfriend? Uh, if that maybe already um, was going on? No, he had already been with her about two years at that point. Okay. They had, they had moved in together, and here's where I own my big, big, big mistake of uh, continuing to see him um, while he was with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you still still feel uh, guilt or shame about that? Yes. Okay. I, I have a really hard time of, of forgiving myself for that part because it, that's not who I am. Yeah, as, and, as part of your healing process, is that the biggest thing you have a problem with uh, trying to get over the the, the shame uh, of I guess your role uh, of of how you acted in, in this situation. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a big one. You know, it's, it, you know, the shame is a big one and the grieving someone who is alive is huge. Um, and we'll get to that. I'm sure that grieving someone who is alive to me is so much harder than grieving someone who is dead. Um, because it's the same, you go through the same emotions, but you know, this person is out there walking around breathing and living a life without you in it and it's by choice whether it's yours or whether it's theirs you know what i mean i mean and that 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 to me is just you know I, you know it's like there's this hole in my life my, but, my story yeah. is sorry i'm sorry for interrupting my story uh of my many stories um one of them isn't as um isn't the exact same as yours but there are a lot of similarities mm-hmm. And, um, there's a lot, that's a lot of shame. Uh, I still carry it. And, uh, it's something, uh, I'll, uh, some days revert back to going like, wow, you go, I said to myself, you're a good person, but you did some questionable (laughs) things. Uh, well, I'll say the same thing. I I don't say that to you. I say that to, to myself. Um, you know, I go, I go like, uh. So, some things, it would be very shocking when I would tell people that this is kind of what I, I did there. Like, that's not you. I go, I know, but like, it's hard to explain to them what type of um, mentality when you're locked in 
into that love bombing and like that actual stage yes, of, yes. of what Different. you will do and what kind of morals and values might fall by the wayside. Um, oh, yeah. So I understand exactly what you're saying, and it's uh, something I deal with as well. And uh, yeah. it still it still peaks up, but I think over time I think about it uh, less and less. See, and that's me. You know, I mean, and and I am a um, you know I, I live in I was lived and raised and brought up in the good old Bible Belt. Um, you know, I was raised Baptist, and you know, yes, I you know, connect with being a Christian, but at the same time, I also have many gay friends, many, you know, I, I, I've learned, life has taught me that there's more than just this narrow, you know, I think my, of myself more as spiritual than religious. I don't like that word religious. Um, so, you know, that is a, well, I was brought up that that was just unacceptable to do something like that. You know, I mean, the people I grew up with would have called me a harlot. <laughs> you know, I mean, and so, you know, that's ingrained in me. And, you know, yes, I did some stupid things in my 20s. And there was a short time, a very short time where there was a married man in that time period. But that was over with pretty quickly. Um you know, so that was stupidity on my part. And that's the things that I'm ashamed of, the part of me that carries great shame. And, you know, I know we're all human and we all make mistakes and we all learn from it. And I swore to myself after that time in my 20s that I would never do that again. And I was completely faithful to my, my ex-husband. We were married for 10 solid years and there was never any infidelity that had nothing to do with our divorce on either side. You know, that was not, that was not even in the picture. It was like that 10 years was removed from the rest of my life, except for the things that were going on in my family or the, you know, my girlfriend getting murdered or whatever, you know, I mean, but the marriage was not anything like anything I had ever had in my life. And I think that's why I married him because I knew that he wouldn't, he would provide some stability in the crazy life I had lived up until that point. Um, so, you know, getting back to asshole, you know, it, it was, you know, and, and I know it sounds like an excuse and it's not because I know how, how much of an excuse it sounds like, but if it had have been anybody but him, if it had have been anybody but who I thought was one of my very best friends, I don't think I would have went there. You know what I mean? Like, I've been propositioned before. I, I, I consider myself fairly attractive. I don't think I'm perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. But I'm fairly attractive, and guys flirt with me, even at, you know, 50. But I don't, you know, I'm very, especially now, but, I mean, I've always been not so much back in my 20s. Let me rephrase that, because I was not very picky back in my 20s. <laughs> I would date just about anybody back in my 20s. Um, but, you know, even after I divorced, it was very much, you know, because once I had my son and I realized what was going on with him, it was, you need to roll up your sleeves and grow up. You know what I mean? It was, this is, this is the real world. Um, and, you know, but I really don't think 
that it would have had the same effect on me. It was almost like I feel like I got a triple whammy of love bombing because it was who it was doing it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if that makes any sense, yeah. like because it was one of my very best friends that knew me inside and out, he knew, you know, we used to compare childhood stories, childhood horror stories. He knew there was an extra trust. There was an extra trust factor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it was like, what? What part of me thought that that was okay? You know, and I still struggle with that. What part of me thought that that was okay? And we're working on that. <laughs> My therapist and I are working on that. That is good. But you know, it's it's one of those that I spent the next two years after he walked in that night Mm -hmm. and he lived about an hour and a half away and he ended up moving, uh, down near Austin at one point, I was running all over Texas and it was always about where he had me meet him. Not, there was only once or twice that he ever came to me. So you're running, Uh, you're running all over Texas for like two, three, three years, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Two, and, three years. And, yeah, running, and he's still with her. Oh, and when does it yeah. start going uh, sour for you? Uh, well, the first time was uh, when he moved down south. He made it sound like she wasn't coming down there with him with the girls, and she didn't go. And that was how, I can't say he led me to believe that, but he never told me any different, right? I just knew he was living down there by himself. So I thought, okay, I don't know what's going on with them, but he's down there by himself, and I'm not sure if they're planning on moving down or not. And he was sending me love songs, and songs play a huge part in this because he was, one that would communicate through songs. And we even talked about that. I was like, you talk through your songs, don't you? And he would say yes. And um, so we started sending songs back and forth to each other. And there's still a few that I will walk out of a grocery store if I hear the beginning of or any part of. I will walk out into the parking lot and breathe through a panic attack before I go back in. Can, for one second, uh, can you please explain mm-hmm. the communication uh, in song? Because uh, you just triggered me. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I, Sorry. I, no, 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 no. It triggered I was like, hold on. I Just explain it to me so I can. I just want to hear it. Okay, so he's very, and I was always into very much country music. Now, I'm also a heavy metal girl. My very first concert was Judas Priest. That'll date me. Um, so <laughs> You always like men in leather. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. So, you know, I like all kinds of music. But, yes, my first concert was Dokken and Judas Priest. Um, so, you know, but I also really like country music too, because when we would go dancing, we would go to country bars. That's what we did. We went two-stepping and, you know, we all had our jeans and boots on and that's what we did. Um, and we were all fairly good at it. And, you know, we were the type that danced with strangers just because they danced good. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, we danced. That's what we did. We danced and we drank. And then sometimes somebody would go home with you. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was just one of those. So, you know, when he was in a song, it was whatever the song saying was what they... I lost you again. Oh, sorry. Um, whenever he would send that song, and we talked about him communicating um, through his songs, mm-hmm. through the songs that he would send, it was um, it was his way of telling me how he felt without having to say it himself. And he would send those songs mm-hmm. as a way to explain what, like, you'd find a specific song. Yeah, it was his way of expressing himself to me. And so there was a lot of songs. Our stories get eerily similar. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Twin Flames in this aspect? This this, this one, is really weird. Um, Yeah, sorry. There there are songs I refuse to listen to. Yeah, there's some that are going to be off limits for the rest of my life. There's no doubt. Um, yeah, there's just some that it's just like, no, no, not doing it. Yeah, they were the songs, they were the songs sent to express specific feelings. Um, then like also videos, um, of songs that expressed the, like what was going on in the video. Like I would have that a lot. There's, yeah. Yeah. And I get, I get, I get get a message that said like this, this is like, uh, like this is our relationship. This video, like things. Yeah, like, and what what I would get, what, what I would get is a watch. That's all I'd get. Yeah, watch. You know, I mean, it, so it was, it was. Yes, I completely. Oh my god, I'm getting chills. That freaking. It's amazing to find somebody else that has that same identical thing because that's exactly what we did with each other, and it went on for six years, and that's how he took me to my knees emotionally too. So yeah. Songs are a big trigger for me. It took me a long time before I could even turn the radio back on. Period. It didn't matter what the song was, because I wasn't going to take the chance of something coming on that was going to send me into a panic attack. So, yeah. I get where you're coming from on that one. Um, So, yeah. So, you know, he was sending me songs, and, you know, of course, we were flirting with each other, and there were sexual innuendos, and... You know, hey, are you going to be up here? And, you know, I love you. And, you know, I, I got mushy and sent him a scene from the notebook, you know, because he was confused about what to do. And, you know, it was it was just that kind of feeling and atmosphere, you know. And it was just, it was very intense no matter what the emotion was. And, you know, there was even a time that she went snooping on his phone and found some Facebook messages from when we first started talking. And he told me. And I went, okay. (laughs) And this was, I don't know, a couple of months after he found me on Facebook. And I was like, you go do what you got to do. I'm going to be here. Because at this point, I found my friend, and I'm going to be there for my friend. You know, whether we continue anything or not, I'm going to be there for my friend. And... It was just this back and forth. But when it really started going sour for me was it was near, that was in the beginning of July of that year. And he moved down south, which is about 
four and a half hours. It's about a four hour drive, four and a half hour drive, um, from where I was living at the time, uh, was where he was moving to. And he, he called me and told me, you know, Hey, I just, I really need to do this. I need to take this job. I need out of this small town. I need to, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I'll come see you down there. It's not that far of a drive, which in Texas, four hours is not that long of a drive. Um, and he, I had sent him a song, um, and I don't know if you know the song or not, but it was Mumford and Sons' song, Wait. No idea. Okay. The song basically says, it's talking about, you know, I came back in, it, it's talking, it's basically telling my story. You know, I came back into your life like a rolling stone that I'll wait for you. Right, mm-hmm. it's it's basically the same. Basically, it was exactly how I was feeling at that moment. Of you do what you got to do in your world. You know, I've got things I'm dealing with with my son. I'll wait for you, which was stupid on my part. Um, and all I got back in response to that was wait. So it was like he was asking me to wait for him. And that was part of, you know, and later on he would say, well, I never should have said that, and I'm really sorry. And I'm like, oh, my God, I waited for you for three years, and then, you know, nothing. You know, and that was when the emotional abuse really got going. Everything was fine as long as I was driving all over Texas to meet him and, um, you know, doing spending weekends with him. And, you know, yeah, we had a good time together, but it, it was – and I was madly in love with him. And I told him that. I was very honest with him about that. I was like, you know, this is where I'm at. And, you know, there was even a time when uh, he had blocked me off of Facebook because she had asked him to. And I didn't say a whole lot to him about that because I thought there's a reason for this and I trust this man. Oof. I'll never do that again. You take me off of Facebook. I, 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 know, I now know how to go in and block someone that's blocked you on Facebook. Um, and I accepted that, you know, and that's the part that I struggle with because it's like, why the hell would I accept that? You know, when I look back at all this stuff, after, you know, when I was going through and I was trying to, to edit my journaling and all that stuff in the book, and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? What <laughs> Why did I go there? Why did I accept that? Why did I let that happen? And it was because when, and he even told me one time, he said, Julie, it's not easy being with me. Because he kept telling me, you don't want to be with me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, it's not easy being with me. When the good is good, it's really good. And when the bad is bad, it's really bad. And I didn't know that that was one of the few times he was telling me the fucking truth. You know, I mean, it was, it's exactly like it was. It was very up and down. And there was a moment when he said that night, that first night, that he had been diagnosed with bipolar. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, Because I don't think it's bipolar. And everything I've researched says that bipolar is often mistaken. You know, borderline personality disorder is often mistaken for bipolar. Yeah. So... You know, it, there's a lot of similarities, but there's not. You know, there's there's differences that a true therapist can tell. 
Um, and it was very up and down, you know, it was in and out and up and down and mad and arguing. I mean, it was like it was in our twenties, but on steroids, you know, it was just crazy. And by the end of the year, you know, he, I'd sent him that song and he said, wait, and that was in October, November and middle of December. He, all of a sudden I get this message and we're talking, you know, text, you know, he'd send me a screenshot shot of him, you know, if we couldn't get together that weekend or something went wrong and, you know, we couldn't meet up on a weekend that we thought we did, you know, I'd say, you know, sorry, see you in my dreams, you know, I, I really wish I was with you and he'd send me a picture, you know, and he'd say, meet you there, you know, with him, with his eyes shut and, you know, just very sweet, you know, and loving things that would make me think that he was in love with me, right? I mean, you don't just do that with a girl that you're just friends with. Um, you don't send songs like that to a girl that you're just friends with. Um, I don't care if you're with somebody or not with somebody. You know what I mean? Like, you don't you do not do that. Um, at least that's the way I'm built. I mean, other people might not be built that way, but that's the way I'm built. So middle of December, we had been texting off and on all day, and as usual, while he was at work or whatever, and it was about, I don't know, I was getting ready for bed. I was laying in bed. My son was asleep. My sister was asleep. And I get this text that, um, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said basically, um, wasn't very long. It was short and sweet. Um, we can't talk anymore. I mean, out of the blue. And she had moved down there, and I didn't know what was going on with them. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Jules, we're not going to do this. We're going to, you know, you just you just need to leave it alone. And I'm like, and, I, of course, I kept texting him because I'm like, well, what the hell are you talking about? Where is this coming from? You know, what are, what are you doing? And he finally called me. And he said, um, girlfriend and the girls will be here in the morning. They're moving in. We've, the house that I've rented down here was for all of us. And I was totally stunned. I mean, it felt like I had been slapped in the face because there was actually a moment during the last several months when he was down there that because of the conversations that we were having, that I thought there might be the possibility of him asking me to move down there, me and my son, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so I was totally taken off guard. Like it was almost like, and I realized at the end, it was almost like he would put me in the most tender emotional spot he could get me in before he would yank the rug out from under me. Now, whether that was intentional, whether he didn't realize he did it, I don't know. But he did it to me way too many times. Like, and then he'd love Bob, and he'd suck me back in, and we'd go meet for a weekend, and he'd send me songs, and I'd send him songs, and I love you. And, you know, I mean, there was no talk of future, you know, after that, but it was very loving. And it was more than just friends, way more than just friends. Um, and 
so I was very confused a lot of the time when all of a sudden he would slap me with something that just totally took me off guard. You know, it was just like, what the hell? What the, where did this come from? Why am I all of a sudden feeling like I'm not enough and I'm abandoned and I'm in tears and I'm not a weepy woman. And over that six years, I cried more tears than I ever even thought about crying with my ex-husband, ever. Um, I think I think I became a non-weepy woman, if that's what you want to call it, if that's even a word. Um, after my childhood, you know, I cried a lot as a kid and growing up, and I think after I went through the therapy in my mid-20s that I just kind of... I kind of shut it down. You know, it was almost like I became numb to whatever was happening around me because it was just like, okay, so here's another situation. And he opened all that back up for me. And I cried more tears over that man than I have cried over any man in my entire life so, in that six years. So after he went or, or after his wife and children moved to, uh, to I guess, near Austin with him, did he come back after or try and pull you back after that? Or was it over right there? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Because I, I sent him an email that said, look, I'm going to be wife with or without you. And I don't appreciate this. And I can't believe I'm like, what the fuck? You know, after the last nine months, this is what you do to me? I mean, I was very honest with him in this email. And so I just want I have one clarification. <laughs> uh, this period of time from when he came back into your life again to now, Austin, how long of period is this relationship going on at, at this point? Nine months. Okay, so it's nine months. I think. Okay. Nine months. July, August, September, October, November, December, maybe six months. Okay. Um, but it was very, it was very intense. I mean, it was just very emotionally intense, but yes, it was, it was that, you know, I mean, it was that time, you know, it was that short of a time frame, and it went on, you know, I mean, yeah, he ended up, you know, when I started emailing that email, I left it alone. I thought he'll either message me or he won't. And it was probably... A week later, he starts sending me pictures. Now, by this point, I've been blocked off of his phone. He's gotten a new phone number. Uh, now, if he calls me at all, it comes up private caller. Um, I've been relegated to email, so it's email only. Um, that's the only way that we can communicate um, unless he calls me. And I don't ask me what accepted that in me. I don't know what I was thinking, where I was head wise, what what made me think that that was okay, even from a friend. You know, it was like I was his dirty, hidden little secret. And it stayed that way even after the girlfriend left him eventually, like two and a half, two years later, two and a half years later, mm-hmm. three years later, however long it was. Um, and it was like that after that, when the emotional abuse got really bad, I was hidden. He would tell people about me. Oh yeah, she's my best friend. I love her. But he wouldn't dare tell anybody that we were involved in any way. He never did commit to me. He never would commit to me. 
And that's the part that, that fucks me up the most, is I went through six years of this shit with a man that I was madly in love with, and he never fucking committed to me. It's like, what the hell was I doing in this? <laughs> How did I get here? And him, of all people. Well, I have a one. I have a weird question. I don't know if your uh, therapist has brought it up with you, because even with your husband yeah. beforehand, who uh, was the way he was, he wasn't. Uh, he was just a you know regular guy. Uh, was he? Was your ex husband emotionally unavailable in a way? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so you you are attracted to emotionally unavailable people. And probably, and you know, this one manifested in in a terrible way. Your ex husband, um, you may have loved him originally, but then his emotional unavailability over a period of time just kind of showed. He was still a good guy, just probably did not know how to communicate or uh, couldn't put. Yes, in- and that's exactly what it was. He had well, I mean, he went from no girlfriend to me, and that's a big. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very honest. I used to apologize to him all the time. Of, I'm really sorry that you've never had a girlfriend up to this point, and you go from zero to me because that is a big leap. Of, I'm not a you know sweet little church girl, and I've been around the block a minute. So, so, um, so, so did, it, did it bother you? Like, did you have mutual friends or other friends that knew him as well? Um, where eventually you told them maybe what was going on and did he get mad or anything along those lines that you, um, I guess, uh, told your secret? Out. Um, you know, we, we had lost contact with most of the people that we had been running around with. Now, okay. he did bring up, he would bring up on a regular basis, um, people who do this kind of abuse are known for constantly berating you about the past and past mistakes you've made. And this one, I don't feel like actually a mistake because he set me up with the guy. Okay. At his, um, wedding reception to his second wife, the one that I'd given him the ring to, uh, to, to marry. <laughs> She, um, he, um, there's a guy, I won't say his name. I'm losing you. I'm losing you again. Sorry. Sorry. Is that better? Yeah. Sorry. I forget. I'm old. I lean forward because my back's hurting. Um, (laughs) so I'm old, man. I own it. Um, so there was a guy. At his wedding reception, the one that his wife, uh, his second wife, um, it was at their the reception there at the club, and um, he was very attractive. And I kind of leaned over to Ethel at one point. I said, "He's kind of cute." He goes, "You want me to give him your number?" And I'm like, "Sure." Okay, now. He just got married to his second wife, right? So he can't say anything to me about dating somebody, right? Mm-hmm. We were just friends back then. So after the 10 years and all of that, he would bring up all the time about, A, how he would sleep on the couch when he wanted to be sleeping next to me, 
um, that he would see other guys go into my bedroom. And back then, he was the guy that made sure I got home safe. It didn't matter who or what, I, you know, what we were doing. He made sure I got home safe, um, which I totally loved him for. And that was one of the reasons he was one of my best friends. But he got, he said, when I was really done with you was when you went out with him and you slept with him. And I'm like, you set me up on the date. So when we were talking and I eventually, you know, slept with him, you set me up on the date. You know how I am. You know how I work. We know each other inside and out. And he's like, did you have to sleep with him? And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, this was from 15, 16 years before that. You know, before I'd even met my ex-husband and, you know, and he brought that name up constantly. We would be talking about something random or in the middle of an argument, and he'd go, well, what about so-and-so? And just bring it up and throw it out there because he knew that it bothered me that he brought it up all the time. You know, I mean, it was like on purpose. And he was also, I also have to say this. He stated that first night that he was a functioning alcoholic. Okay, he worked. He's always worked his ass off. He's always been, you know, one of those guys that gets up and goes to work every day. Uh, he's not a leech, you know, nothing like that. He didn't, you know, didn't take me for any money, although I spent too much money on him that I shouldn't have. Um, but he told me that. And he was definitely an alcoholic. And I didn't really see the bad sides of that until after I moved to Austin, which is kind of a story in itself because me and my sister moved down near San Antonio, and then I couldn't take any more of her shit. So I found a job in Austin in the line of business that I'm in and moved to Austin. And it wasn't wasn't because can't say it wasn't because of asshole because it was a small part of it that was because of asshole because he was there. Um, cause I was hoping that if I was closer, we could spend more time together and maybe see where it went. So, I don't know what so, my thoughts were. So you moved that. there after he got, uh, divorced. Well, yeah. And he wasn't married to this woman. Okay. Well, you moved there not after that, not, he, not, after he yeah. broke up with her. Yeah. Not that that makes a whole lot of difference in my choice, but mm. you know what I mean? And did you get, um, did you get together with, um, him, uh, after they broke up? Off and on. It was uh, still off and on. And that lasted for how long? I mean, long? it was... Um, well, he was at my house, and this was this is something that trips me out, because he told on himself a couple of times, I think. Uh, they say that if you listen close enough, they'll tell you who they are. And three weeks... The first... I was always... You have to understand. I was always the first person that he ever reached for whenever something traumatic would happen in his life. Whether it was with his mom, whether it was with, you know, the second wife, whether it was with, you know, had to do with his son, whatever it was, I was always the first person that he reached for to be there for him. And the first person he reached for when she left him was me. And it wasn't in that moment, it wasn't sexual. It was just 
this is what I do. I always reach for Julie when something huge happens. And, you know, three weeks later, he's coming down to spend the weekend with me. And he came down and spent the weekend with me. Now, he slept most of that weekend, and he stayed drunk most of that weekend. But there was one conversation on the back porch. We were sitting out on the back porch, having a smoke. We were having drinking a beer, listening to music. Um, and it was kind of random out of nowhere. Like, everything had gotten quiet. We weren't talking about his mom. We weren't talking about the ex. We weren't, you know, his ex. We weren't talking about any of that. And it was kind of quiet and just randomly out of nowhere. He asks me, Jules, what's a narcissist? And at the time, of course, I had no idea about this community and this world and none of this, right? So I had no idea what he was talking about. And I thought maybe he was talking about his mother because I think there's a real possibility there with his mother, too. From what he's told me, I've never met his mother. Never met him. I've never met any of his family, ever. He's told me about him. Never met him. Uh, so I'm thinking, you know, and of course, you know, I come back with the usual response that somebody that's never gone through this or, or understands this is, well, I guess it's somebody that's pretty self-centered and just does things for their own benefit. And he just kind of shook his head yes and texted something or I don't, I don't know. He was texting somebody, but we had the music on the phones or whatever. And we went about our business and I didn't think too much of it. And now looking back, I think, okay, that was about three weeks after the ex-girlfriend left him. And I really wonder if she didn't call him that too. Wow. <laughs> If, if she wasn't thinking the same thing, and that's part of the reason she left, mm -hmm. because it wasn't until after they split up. I was like the secondary supply. So I, um, I, have, a, I have a question. Um, mm -hmm. What happened, I guess, uh, just to move things along a little, um, uh, how did it end? Like, how, what was the, the, the final straw? And then uh, where are you, I guess, in your recovery? Well, the final straw was when he finally admitted to lying to me about having cancer and carrying on the lie for over a year. Hold on. Um, I, I, did a, yeah. I did a massive jump here. Uh, so, you... <laughs> so did my therapist when I told them. Okay. Um, so he lied about having cancer. Oh, go back. Before the cancer, he lied about his ex-wife being dead. He lied about his ex-wife being dead. Uh, okay, it was so, not so, so let's just let's just, let's just cover these two things, and then we'll get to the healing part. He, I was going. You're going back. You want me to get to the end, and there's so much in between. So, um, so let's just cover these two because these two are. I mean, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty insane. So he lies about his ex-wife being dead. Explain. Okay, at the beginning, when we first started talking, uh, he had texted me, and he goes, she died. And I was like, who? And he said his second wife's name, which was the one that he considered at the time the love of his life, the one that left him, and I took him to Tennessee and all that stuff uh, to help him with that. And 
so we talked about it a little bit, you know, and she said her sister said that she had died or whatever because he had tried to find her a few times. And, you know, there were several conversations over the next two and a half, three years. I was almost to that time frame. Um, it, it, was, it was right around the time, it, over the, up until the point where the ex-girlfriend left him, okay? He had... Um, uh, he had, we had talked about this woman, his second wife, because he considered her the love of his life. And, you know, he would say, I'm never going to love anybody like I loved her and blah, 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 blah. You know, and we'd talk about it or whatever. And, um, it was New Year's, uh, right after the ex-girlfriend left him, the now ex-girlfriend left him. And, he come in, and I had my son, and I was thinking about, this is when I was thinking about moving to Austin, and I couldn't make up my mind because I was torn between taking care of my sister, who's 16 years older than me, and she had retired, and she was helping me with my son, and but she was extremely manipulative and passive-aggressive and all that stuff at the same time. So I was struggling with whether to leave there or not and take this job in Austin, and they had asked me like five times, and I turned it down. And finally, on the sixth time, because it was right after he told me, uh, after this thing with the ex-wife came up, uh, that I decided to take the position because I thought, screw it. I got to get out of here. I feel like I'm losing my shit. These people are killing me. Um, and yes, it was closer to him, but that wasn't the main reason that I did it. Um, he wasn't the main catalyst in that decision. Um, so... <clears throat> It was New Year's weekend, and he came through town. He was going to a little town to go hunting, uh, and he came through, and he came by work, and he gave me a kiss, and, you know, he was like, hey, you know, I, you know I'd love for you to come out, and this was Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, he had been extremely emotionally abused at Christmas Eve. That's a whole chapter in my book, um, but... Uh, he comes by work and he says, you know, I'd love you to come by. And I said, I said, well, you know, you've got that place out there, you know, that you go out on the land that you use. Your friend's got this land and, you know, I've got Will. I've got Will. He's not with his dad. I'm sorry. My son. Well, let me start that again. You can edit that out. Um, my son um, was with me. He wasn't with his father because I was driving back and forth at this point to Dallas to bring him to see his dad on occasion, and he'd had him over Christmas. And uh, I said, you know, I've got my son, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to ask my sister because she's being the way she's being right now. I don't want to ask her to watch him while I come out and spend New Year's Eve with you. Um, let me just bring Will. He'll go to sleep. Damn it. <laughs> let me just bring my son. Just bleep it out. Uh, let me just bring my son and, um, we'll, uh, put him to bed. You know, he'll go to bed, you know, around nine or 10, like he usually does and he'll be fine. And we can, you know, have a bonfire or whatever and bring in the new year around a bonfire. And he was like, no, no, I really, I really don't want to, I don't want Will out there. I don't want my, I don't want the son out there. And, um, so 
he gets shit faced drunk. He calls me. He says uh, something along the lines of, have you ever thought that we shouldn't have had kids? Or have you ever thought about what our kids would, would have looked like? And I'm like, of course I've thought about that. We would have made beautiful babies, you know, and I don't know what I'd do without my son. You know, he's my world. And so fast forward to the next day, he's like, well, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll email you tomorrow and, you know, y'all can come out tomorrow night and spend the night. I'm like, okay. So I can't get a hold of him the next night. I can't get a hold of him the next day. I can't get a hold of him the next night. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this asshole has gotten drunk, fallen down, hit his head on a rock, and he's bleeding out in the middle of nowhere, out in the country. And I'm worried to death, and I'm emailing him and messaging him, and I did not hear from him until I was back at work Monday, and I kept emailing and saying, please let me know you're okay. Don't make me come find you. I know how pissed off you get if I even talk about coming to find you. He was so controlling. I mean, very controlling about what I could do and what I couldn't do and what was allowed, even after he was single. Um, and he... He messaged me back, and all I got at work was, I'm okay. And I thought, that's it? I was supposed to meet you out there Saturday night, you know? I mean, we were supposed to come out and hang out and, you know, what the, why, what? You know, and then I got home, and it wasn't, I wasn't home. He knew what time I got off work, and I wasn't home from work, maybe 30 minutes. And he called me, and I answered, and I'm like, are you okay? He goes, I'm fine. He goes, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah, I was sitting up cross-legged in my bed. I said, yeah. He goes, is your son in there with you? And I said, no, he's in his room playing. He said, this is going to be one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have with someone. And I was like, what the fuck? And he said, you're never going to guess who I spent the weekend with. And at first, I thought the ex-girlfriend. So that was the first name I threw out there. And he said, no. And do not tell me what made me think of his second wife, but it was just right there in my brain. And I threw her name out there, and he said, yes. And it was unbelievable. He said, we were talking uh, I don't. I don't remember if he said that she found him on Facebook or he found her on Facebook. I don't remember which one it was. But he said, um, he said it was the absolute most incredible weekend I've ever had. And I stopped him and I said, "But you said she was dead." And he said, "Well, I kind of thought she might be." What? What? <laughs> I wasn't for sure. Well, he didn't tell me that ever during that previous two or three years or whatever, however long it had been. He had never said there's a possibility because her sister told me, but he never gave me an indication that it was anything other than she was dead. And I was totally taken aback. And I was just like, what what are you talking about? And he kept talking, and you could tell on his end he was just glowing. He said, every song that I listened to on the radio while I was on the way home was about her. And, you know, I held her face, and I talked to her, and it was like no time had passed. And, um, you know, have you ever just 
looked in somebody's eyes and knew that you loved them. She was the new you. And he was telling this to me about her. And I am literally, I am in shock at this point. I know I had to be white because I was just, I, I had this, I, I was so stunned I couldn't say anything while he's telling me all this stuff. And when he said that about, have you ever looked in someone's eyes and just known that you loved them? And I just said real quietly, yes, I have. And he knew I was talking about him and he hung up on me. Okay. What the fuck do I do with that shit? (laughs) I was like, what the? What? You know, I mean, it was just, I I just sat there for a while and I was like. How how long did you stick around after that? Another year and a half. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Um, but there was a time period during that month, you know, it, it was only a month that she was around and I'm not so sure she didn't remember. Hey, um, you know, he hadn't changed much. So, you know, but it, there was extenuating circumstances on her end, supposedly. I don't know. All I got was his side of the story. So I can't say, um, so, so now you're like supply number three. Well, no. At this point, I'm still supplied number two because the ex-girlfriend, and well, and apparently she was she was still around, but I didn't know. So, um, so you stuck. So you, so you stuck around for a year and a half longer, and then the uh, what was the last event again? Well, it wasn't the last event, but he lied to me about having cancer. Then, then the cancer. Uh, so explain the cancer. Uh, he was too chicken shit. Basically what it boils down to, and this is another whole chapter in my book, you know, he would go through these periods of he would be extremely drunk and he would come over to my apartment in, in Austin and he would emotionally beat me down. It was only once he was physical and the only way he was physical was he was pouring cold water over me over and over again at night. And it was always when he was drunk that he was the worst. He was always emotionally abusive, but when he was drunk it was way off the charts. Um, and he would do that. And then the next weekend he would be at my place and he would be playing me songs and, you know, playing our songs, the ones that were ours. And then, you know, we would do our thing and he would spend the night and then he'd leave the next day and then I wouldn't hear from him. You know, it was just very much up and down this roller coaster of suck in, pull out, suck in, pull out. So, you know, and, and it sounded sexual, but I didn't mean it to. But that's that's, <laughs> that's kind of what it was. Um, so you know, I'm just like, what? You know, how do I do this? So it was just before uh, he had told me already that he wasn't in love with me. Um, but then he would try to he would set me back in with sweet love songs, and you know, I would think, oh, well, he's changing his mind, and I'd tell him, you know, if you're not interested in me, if you're not in love with me, then don't send me the songs. And he would, you know, unless you want to take it to the next level, don't send me the songs. And he would send me the songs. So, you know, it was it was such a back and forth control thing for him. And so he comes in on this one weekend, and I hadn't told him yet that I had already decided to come back to Dallas because this is where my son's father is, and it was wearing me out 
driving back and forth to bring him up here to see him. I was trying to do the right thing by him as well. And I just wanted to come back up here because at this point it had gotten so bad with him and so abusive with him and so stupid with him that I was just like, I have got to move. There's nothing here. There's nothing in this town for me. I didn't know anybody down there. There was a family down there for me. He was the only one. Um, we hadn't even talked about the babysitter dying. Um, so, uh, he comes in, he plays all these songs and stuff. Now, you got to understand, this entire time, he's not necessarily telling me about other women. Um, and I'm not dating anybody. I'm too busy with my son and being a single mom, and I still want a chance with him. You know, we talked about it off and on and all this stuff. And the whole time he keeps telling me, you know, when he reaches out for me, well, I guess I'm just going to die alone. I'm just going to die alone, you know, I'm just going to die alone. And I'm like, you're not alone. I'm right here. You know, I mean, it was like this, he was in this alcoholic cycle, and it was bad, bad, bad. And so he comes over, he spends the night, we, you know, listen to songs. We've got some, our music going while we're making love. It's the next day. It's, you know, he's sending me songs at work. And he calls me at work at like 4.30. And he says, um, Jules, I need to tell you something. And I said, what? And he said, that trip that I took to the Houston area, when I sent you those pictures of me at uh, his grandparents' graves, he rides a motorcycle. And I said, yeah. And he said, that wasn't a pleasure trip. I was going to MD Anderson. I have testicular cancer. They're going to take one of my balls in two weeks. And um, and he's he's drunk at this point. He's still drunk. Because he, he was just binge drinking at this point. But I'm thinking, even drunk, nobody lies about having cancer, Right. And he cared a lot for over a year. He kept saying, well, I'm, I'm headed to Dallas to Baylor for a you know, second opinion. Um, you know. And I even asked him straight up when he finally got sober for the new wife. He's on wife number four, and he's fixing to turn 45 next week. Um, you know, I asked him straight up, do you have cancer? And he said, well, yeah, stage one. And he was sober as a judge when he told me that. There was no, he, he was already trying to get sober for the new wife. So anybody that can lie about having cancer has something, has bigger issues than I need in my life. And that was kind of the catalyst, you know. And then when he finally was calling me to make amends that he was lying to me about the new wife, um, he, uh, who was about to be his new wife, he uh, told me, he said, you know, and the reason I lied about cancer was because I was scared. I mean, it was just, it was always excuses with him. Like, he would apologize, but then he wouldn't, but it was in a way where it was making an excuse for it. I was scared. I was scared of losing you. I was scared of, you know, whatever. I was scared. You know, it's like, well, that's pretty weak, you know? I mean... And even in the last conversation, I had already blocked him and everything, and he found phones to call me from that were not his phones to call me from private numbers, like his work cell phone or whatever, because he was trying to say he was sorry and make amends, but he didn't want to hear about the details of what he had done to me. 
Um, because I asked him, I said, well, what do you want me to say here? I don't know why you're calling me. Why the fuck am I even talking to you at this point? And he's like, well, I appreciate you talking to me. You know, I'm calling to say I'm sorry. I'm not asking for your forgiveness, but I'm calling to say I'm sorry. Okay, well, this is not about me then. This is about you alleviating your guilt. And I said to him, what are you doing? Are you fixing to marry her? Are you fixing to move in with her? What's going on big that you're not telling me? Well, you assume too much. That was the way he would gaslight me. I would I would hit it dead on and find out later that I was dead on, and he would tell me I assumed too much. And that was the way he would gaslight me and make me question myself, you know, as to whether I was right or not. And sure enough, four days after he said, this is the final goodbye, he married her. Wow. I called him out, and I called him out. This was last, they'd been married a year in May. Uh, and the only reason I know it is because I created another profile. Yes, I did it. Because I knew. Uh, I knew there, there's, there's no fault in doing it. You had to do it. Well, because I knew he was lying. I yeah. knew he was lying, and I knew. I knew he was lying. And I was like, I'm going to fucking prove he was lying. You know, it's that gaslighting thing of if you think you need to voice record their conversation, <laughs> then you know you're being gaslit. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, gaslighting is crazy. And he kept telling me, you assume too much. You assume too much. You so, know? So and when, he even tried to... He, sorry, when you found well, out, did it, how crazy did you go? Oh, I lost my shit. You're talking about a Texas girl here. <laughs> I lost my shit. I was so pissed. There was no tears at this point. Did you it did you throw or break anything? Uh, if he had been standing in front of me, I would have punched the fuck out of you. Okay. Um, I did not throw anything, but I did screenshot the picture of where she had changed her last name and put up the profile picture of um, because I'd asked him several times in the conversation when he was making amends, and I say that with big quotation marks, uh, where he was making amends. And what it was is he was just fucking with me one last time. Because uh, all it did was set me back in my healing. This was just before I put myself into therapy because I was already trying to do the research and all that stuff. And during that whole time, I'm like, oh, well, there's gaslighting. Oh, he's lying about that. I guarantee it. Oh, there's some projection. Oh, there's the control. You know, because, I mean, at one point, you know, he's sending me songs. And I'm like, no, don't send me songs. This is what got us here. And he's like, well, no more songs for you, Jules. And I'm like, well, that was all about fucking control. He wanted to make the decision instead of respecting my boundary. So um, I screenshotted the picture of her with his last name and their wedding picture. And I sent it to him. And I called him every name in the book. I told him he was a lying sack of shit and that I would never be able to trust him again and that if he ever came near me again, that I was going to follow restraining order. And then I screenshotted it and sent it to her. I said, do you know he's been talking to me for the last three months? This is on their wedding day. And I said, do you know he's because several times through those conversations, I was like, does she know you're talking to me? Because my thing at that point was, if I'm such, if I'm your best friend and I'm so loyal and you think so much of me, then why are you hiding me? Why am I the dirty little secret? So I screenshotted it because I was taking care of her at that point. At this point, I had already messaged her a couple of months before when I finally blocked him on everything and went, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. 
um, and told her, I gave her the words, narcissistic abuse, love bombing, devalued discards. You know, I gave her the verbiage. I'm like, look, you've got more than I had at the beginning of this. You can believe me or not believe me. I don't give a shit. You've got more than I had. And, um, you know, she asked me when the last time we was, we, you know, we slept together and, you know, it was, I gave her details of while he was dating her, him sticking his hand down my shirt and just, it was craziness. It was madness. And I just told her, I said, do you know he's been talking to me for the last three months? Because if you're really an alcoholic and you're going through the recovery, not only are you going to be honest with the person that you're trying to uh, make amends with, but you're going to be honest with your soon-to-be spouse about talking to someone and making amends with them. I mean, so if he, if she didn't know, my thing was if she didn't know that he was trying to make amends with me just before, while they were planning their wedding, which was a small wedding, but still, you know, that's not right. You be honest and you be transparent in your recovery when you're getting sober. That's just all there is to it. I mean, that's just the way, and that's the way that AA works. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and so I'm like, this is not the way you do it. <laughs> you know, and he even said in that conversation, you know, well, I'm doing, doing it my way and maybe that's selfish. And that's when I said, well, everything you do is fucking selfish. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, and, and, and she was like, well, what is it you think I'm missing? And I just forwarded all the emails from the previous couple of months to her. I said, what's your email address? At first I blocked her because I was scared. I was like, oh, shit, make sure you're doing this for the right reasons, Julie, and it's not just revenge. You know what I mean? Like I had to stop myself and go, okay, hold up. Let me make sure that I'm doing this for the right reasons because this is not about revenge against him. At this point, it's about worrying about her, you know, and just going, okay, I'm going to at least give her a heads up. With what she does with it, she'll probably stay with him. She's right in the middle of it. I get it. I know how sweet he can be, how he can suck you back in. I get it. She'll stay with him, and that's all fine and good. But she is going to know the truth about me, and I'm going to be the one to lay it out there to her because there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that because of my childhood that he made me out to be the crazy one. Well, you know, her mom was crazy too. In a way, did so you, did, in a way, did you just want to prove to someone else that you existed? Yes. That it what was what happened I mean, was real. Because Yes, it was it was here. This is what happened and you need to know because I want you to be going into this marriage fully prepared because whether he's sober or not, yes I realized that it was way worse when he was drinking. But he's very much a covert narcissist. It's very unless you you've been through it and unless you've been at the other end of it, you don't realize what you're dealing with until you're freaking ask questioning yourself and saying, am I crazy? So You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it's, it's that moment. So uh, all of that ended, and you are now uh, in the aftermath of it. How long did it take you to get to where you are today, where you – have a little bit of a, you know, a good sense of humor about what has happened. Well, I mean, I think I've always had a thick sense of humor, even when I'm in the middle of it. I mean, even when I'm in the middle of a nightmare, I have a thick sense of humor. 
um, I think that, you know, I mean, because when, when they got married and when all that happened, that's when I changed my phone number, changed my email, and that's been a little over, was last, last, the beginning of June of last year, and it's now July, so a year and a month or so, I've been in therapy. It was a short amount of time in between therapists that I was not in therapy, but, and it was weekly. And now I'm down to bi-weekly. And, um, you know, but before I got into therapy, I had already been doing the researching myself, you know, and, and I had to go to therapy to go, okay, is what I'm seeing real, you know, cause you know how things online are not, not always as they seem, you know, and I thought, okay, there's these committees, there's these support groups, there's just the conspiracy theory, am I going crazy, am I my mother, am I seeing things, you know, I needed, I needed that validation from someone outside of myself when I laid the situation out there to go, okay, you're not crazy, you were most likely dealing with somebody with a personality disorder, and that's exactly what I got when I got into therapy, you know, I'm like, okay, I need to know if I'm crazy. If I am, what do I need to do to fix it? Because I'm not that person that's going to say, oh, it's everybody else. Um, and if I'm not, then am I really dealing with somebody that probably has a personality disorder? Is this really, is, are these personality disorders really this destructive that it would cause this kind of damage? The CPTSD, the panic attacks, I already had anxiety and depression, so it didn't help that any. It set my anxiety over the edge. Um, and then the CPTSD kicked in. Um, you know, isolating myself. I have a really hard time letting new people in. Um, panic attacks, a hypervigilance, um, definitely jumpy with certain sounds and definitely songs. Um, you know, so... I'm coming along, you know, I mean, I'm proud of the progress I've made, but I know I still have a long way to go. And the one thing that at the beginning that would, especially like six months in, that it would, it would piss me off. It's like, okay, so I've put this person out of my life. Why the fuck am I not over this yet? You know what I mean? Like I was trying to rush myself or something like I should already be done with this. And what people don't understand is that this healing is, such a process and it's it's an up and down and you're going to revisit and you're going to go backwards but it's going to get better each time like you know I was telling my therapist in our session the last time that you know I had my session a week and a half ago I go again this Saturday um that you know there's a ringtone on one of the girls at work her phone that is the sound of a motorcycle and it's the same exact ringtone that I had for him because he had, he had a couple of Harleys. And the first time I heard it, when I first started working there, which has been a little over a year now, I literally physically would jump at least four inches out of my chair, no matter where I was sitting in the office. It was physical. It would go down my skin. I would feel the my skin crawling with that anxiety, um, you know, you know, making sure it wasn't my phone because I've changed my phone number. You know, it was just that momentary, that sound, it would take me to that emotional flashback and it was like, fuck, you know? And I didn't ever say anything to this girl because he's not going to get that control over me. And I noticed this last time she had her phone up, because it's not all the time she has her phone up, it's usually when her, her son is with someone, um, that when it went off, yes, I took note, 
yes, I cocked my ear. I did not jump out of my chair, and I didn't get that skin-crawling feeling. It was, okay, there's that memory, and it's gone. You know, so it was, it's progress. It's steps in this healing. There's not, there's not, both of them. Healing is not linear, and especially when you're grieving someone who is alive, trying to find the self-worth that you've never had because you've always felt like you were not enough for this earth. And, you know, trying to get through all of that is going to be an up-and-down journey where there's going to be times when you are just triggered as hell and you don't want to talk to anybody. And then there's going to be times when you feel like you're walking on top of the world because you're finally free of it. And it's very much that way. And you have to learn how to deal with those moments of, you know, I have a I have a best friend that she truly is my best friend. And she was the first one to call it that he lied about the cancer, too. I have to give her credit for that one. Um, I've known her for almost 30 years now. And she truly is my best friend. And between her and my niece, who is only about five years younger than me, all I have to do is text or message them, hey, I just need to touch someone. And what I mean by that is I'm feeling really isolated and alone, not lonely, because I don't want a man right now, not necessarily. I'm just now starting to tip the pinky toe in of even flirting with anybody, Um, but I, you know, what I mean by touch is reach out and just have someone that you, I know thinks I'm enough, knows I'm enough, loves me. Just hear their voice and talk about whatever. We can bullshit and talk about whatever. And just to have that human interaction in that moment. And they are, they are there for me without fail. And that is what a true friend is. That's what a friend is. It's somebody that I'm there for them, and when I reach, they are right there for me. You know, it might take them 30 minutes to get to a place where they can talk, but they'll call and they'll tell me about their shitty day or their, you know, what's going on with them or their family or their side or whatever, and that pulls me out of that being alone kind of thing because I have my little tight circle is really tight now, and if I let you in, you better feel really fucking special. <laughs> so, so, you, you, so, so you isolated yourself in in a way, just like you 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 know you're not going out, you're staying inside, you're keeping like a drama free yeah. kind of life. Oh yeah, I don't even want to go in the grocery store. Are you kidding me? Walmart delivery wrong. <laughs> <laughs> For real, like you know, I mean, yes, I make myself, you know, like. You know, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, me and the one sister that I talked to, I have two sisters and a brother, um, the one sister that I do talk to occasionally, which is not often, but I do, uh, it was her husband's birthday, and um, he'd always wanted to see ZZ Top, so me, my best friend, her, and him went to the ZZ Top concert. I had a great time. I'm also a single mom, and I have a real hard time with the self-care thing with that, you know, taking, I feel not feeling guilty for doing something for myself, um, and I'm trying to get better at that, you know, taking care of myself until I'm allowing myself a night out or 
you know, even when he's gone, a lot of the times, you know, I'm at home doing stuff, getting ready for the next week or whatever, you know, and I'm trying really hard because that is not who I was in my 20s. I was very outgoing. You know, I was the one that said, hey, come on, let's go do this. You know, I was the spontaneous one. And so I'm trying to get back a little bit more to that, but on a 50-year-old level, <laughs> a little bit more mature than I was in my 20s because I was not very mature in my 20s. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get back there and I'm trying to slowly, you know, but I'm really taking my time because there's been a couple of times that, you know, guys have messaged me in Facebook and, you know, dude, we don't want a picture of it if we have not seen it in person. Um, you know, it's that kind of cutting that trying to go, all right, that's a big red flag, leave me alone. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the guy that that messaged me and wanted to, you know, fly me and my son to Colorado, we'd never met face-to-face. Okay, no, sir. (laughs) No, that's not happening. You know, so, I mean, I can identify the red flags pretty quickly. Um, I'm just being very careful because if I ever do let anybody into my life, you know, it's going to, it's going to have, they're going to have to be patient with me. They're going to have to. Well, it's uh, good to hear that you're making progress. Uh, slow is good. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I really want to thank you today for uh, sharing your story with me and for the uh, audience of every, uh, all of our subscribers that listen to us and our, the new people that listen to us. Uh, you've been through a lot and you've made it uh, to the other side and you should, you know, yes. you, uh, you've done, you've done work. You have a lot, you're still doing a lot of work and, uh, you should be proud of yourself that you got here. Um, yes, and sir. you should, uh, like, you know, I probably, one of the bigger things you'll be working on is, uh, the shame, but, uh, as much yes. as I can say, like, uh, you know, don't feel that way. You know, it takes, it's going to take a while and you'll get there. Um, it just, you know, a lot of people say, yeah. you know, it takes time, but for, for the shame part and everything like that, it takes time. I, I've been where you are. Um, and, uh, it, I've been, I, you know, we'll, we'll, once we get off the, the line here, we'll talk a little bit more. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been where you are, so you're doing well and you're, you're going to get there. Well, thank you. And, you know, I have to say that I do appreciate the fact that you, uh, Check the podcast in a more serious uh, way because it's extremely important and relevant in this day. And there's so many of us out here. It's unreal. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that, you know, I just about fell off my couch was the first time I was in a Facebook support group for narcissistic abuse survivors and somebody posted in there, has anybody else this narc lied about having cancer? Okay. Somebody else did it too. So it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And so that is my hope is that my story and the other stories that you share will help others know that, okay, you are not alone in feeling this way or you are not alone in your shame. You're not alone in your, you know, feeling like you're not enough. You're not alone in your journey because it is a long journey and it is a hard journey and it is eye opening. And so what you do is also extremely important, and I'm proud of you. Thank you for stepping up to the plate and doing that because well, it means it means a lot to us out here that are trying to get the word out. 
Well, thank you very much. And um, that's uh, our show today. I- I'm not good at taking uh, <laughs> taking uh, praise in any sort. So, but thank you. Thank you very much. And um, for everyone You're out there. Welcome. You're uh, going to have to work on that. <laughs> everyone out there listening, uh, have a great night. And that was my conversation with Jules. It wasn't Jules great? And she's hanging in there. She's still finding it tough to get out in the world and trust again. And hopefully she'll get her way back in there. But I just want to thank Jules for bringing her fun soul to this podcast, for making me laugh. I think she and I are a lot alike. So it was fun hanging and talking and laughing with her while she shared her story with me and you. And I have a feeling I'm going to get a lot of emails about her. So send those in because she had an infectious personality. I just think everyone is going to love her. So if you have something nice to say uh, about Jules, send it to me and then I'll send that right her way. Besides that, before I leave, I just want to remind everyone again about our fundraiser for Layla. You can go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and go to the fundraiser section for that you give as much as you want give as little as you want you know we're just trying to make our community stronger and part of it is by giving back to others who need trauma therapy and we're starting off with Layla here also we created a facebook group which is different from our facebook page this way it's more interactive for everyone involved and anyone can start a conversation on it so not just it's not just me so there's a facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash narcissist apocalypse i will put that in the description of the show so it's easier to to read. Also, we have a subreddit, uh, which is on reddit.com. If you don't know what that is, to discuss today's episode, you can go to reddit.com, look up the subreddit, Narcissist Apocalypse, and it's a capital N on the narcissist and a capital A on the apocalypse. And lastly, we're almost done here. We're almost done. If you want to read a letter to your narcissist, we have a voicemail recorder on our website to record. Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page. It's always there floating around. It's hard to miss. We're accumulating these letters for our Letters to a Narcissist Episode Volume 2. So keep on sending them in. And when we have enough of them, we will have a show. And I'll bring Melissa back. And now, that is it. The show is over. I hope you all have a great week. And I just want to remind you all to just take care of yourselves. Good night.